Hey, this is Zuri Berry. Before we get to the podcast, I want to tell you why this project is so important to Donnell and me. We started this with the goal of telling the stories of journalists who look like us in this industry we love. We want to recognize talent, celebrate achievement, and give some flowers to some people who are really deserving to have the spotlight put on them. But also, it's really important that we hear from our fellow black journalists at this particular moment in time when our industry has enormous challenges and our presence as commentators, experts, political writers, on-air talent, and investigative reporters seem optional to some. That doesn't sit right with me, and I hope it doesn't sit right with you either. I hope you're here to hear just as much about the successes as you are about the struggles, whether it's the struggle to get that first job to find a space where you feel like you belong, to find the bravery to strike out on your own or to have your voice heard, whether it's about the current state of media or otherwise. And so we want to thank you for supporting us by listening. And we want to ask you for your direct support of the production of this podcast. You can do that by going to buymeacoffee.com slash black journos and donating today. That's buymeacoffee.com slash black journos. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you. Now, on to the interview. This is the Black Journalist on Journalism podcast, a ZMC podcast production. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are back for another episode of Black Journalist on Journalism, but something's a little different this time. This time, we don't have a guest. We're going to focus on ourselves a bit. Zoe Berry is back with me. How are you, brother? I'm well. I'm well. And I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, we obviously have a lot of people that we need to get to and talk to. For sure. But it would be, I think, prudent of us now that we're eight episodes in or so. Wow. To, to at least dig into our own stories and right. dig into each other a little bit so that people know who listening to who's asking these questions and what's our background and all that stuff. And I think right now we're supported by a lot of people who already know us, but at a certain point we're going to start meeting people and reaching people who have no clue who Donnell sucks is and your role in Atlanta and where you're from in New York and all of, they're not going to know. So we got to, we got to walk them through that. And obviously they're not going to know who I am and, why that I'm in DC and why I'm from San Francisco, but spent so much time in Boston. They're not going to know. Right. What's this guy? What's this they have about no Boston? clue. So we got to, we got to inform the people. And so this is what Absolutely. this is about. I think it's fun. I think we talk so much to others or we have been talking so much to others about their journeys and you tend to forget about your journey and just say, well, you know, everyone knows my story, mm. Mm. but it's an assumption. Like, no, right? not really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I feel like I, I want to be in the interviewer seat here for this. Oh boy. I, I'm, I, I don't know if folks are fully aware of how this podcast came to be. It's a cool story. It starts with Donnell, whom I wasn't following online, tweeting out that I really want to see something where we talk to other black journalists about their careers, essentially. It was like, I listened to a ton, a ton of podcasts, going to work, coming from work, in between assignments, whatever. And every now and again, there's a black guest. And I get really excited when a journalism podcast has a black guest on. 
and it'll be like six more months until they have another one on. And one day I was just like, I'm not going to name the podcast I listen to. I don't think it's fair to put them out there, but I listened to it and I was just like, wait a minute, how come like we can't just do this all the time? Where's the, where's the podcast where a black journalist or journalist interviews another one and we find about his or her story? Where is that? So I just put it out on Twitter, just like I do a hundred other things a day, but that one caught fire a little bit and was moving around so much. I'm thinking, well, all these people think it's a great idea. <laughs> now who's going to say, hey, I know how to podcast. I know how to produce a podcast, whatever. And lo and behold, it wasn't that long after I posted it. And you were like, hey, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing. Maybe we should talk. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, at first I'm thinking, let me just amplify this message because I agree. And I doubt that's my initial participation in all of this was. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I agree. I don't hear enough of us. I feel like there's a whole lot of us that are out there that are working in different capacities at different levels. We're not all based in New York and D.C. Right. And so it would be really cool to learn more about some of the dope journalists, writers, yes. photographers, you know, multimedia folks, radio, folks and TV. TV, radio, exactly, who are all across the country. And so that was my initial thought. Like, let me just amplify that message because I think that's a thing. And then I realized, you know, wait, what, what is that? Uh, you want to be changed? You, you got to be it, right? Like, be the change you want to see. Exactly. You know, it's like, wait a second, let's think about this. And so I think you were really prudent. You, you obviously saw the attention that your tweet was getting, that the message was getting, and that it was getting amplified. You know, like, yo, if somebody wants to do this, and I kind of raised my hand. I don't remember the exact way I did it, but that's how it all started. That's how it all kicked off which is essentially say it started as an online thing with people expressing interest in this. And I was one of the first people that said, yeah, actually, I think I would love to do this kind of work. Let me know if you're interested. And we got a meeting and we got going and it was just like, let's just do this. Let's go. It's as simple as, or if, if someone has an idea and another person has another piece of that idea or whatever, and they put their minds together, you can actually make these things happen. You don't have to say, what if, and that's what I was doing. I wasn't, saying, well, why not? And you were like, well, I don't know why not, but I know that I know how to do that. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, all right, let's go. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. That feels like a year ago, but it really was like four Just months a few ago. Months. Just a yeah. few months. Yeah. Just a few months ago. And and we've had nothing but great conversations as we've gotten started here. Absolutely. Every single one has been impressive to me in the sense of the different work experiences that they've had, that they've mm. brought to the table, where they her positioned, if you will, within the industry, TV, online only, newspapers, podcasts, independent folks, entrepreneurs, social media. It's been, it's random, but there's more. And there's more that we have to talk Absolutely. to in order to, again, expand the reach of this and, and what we're trying to do. And I have this crazy thing in my head. I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I have this idea in my head. It's like, I want to get to like, you know, something like, you know, 400 episodes or something like that. I just, I just want to talk to as many people as possible. Right. I don't know if we're going to have always the time and bandwidth to do it, but it's a personal goal of mine. Somebody asked me, said, well, at the end of the year, what is this going to look like? I said, I hope it's got 52 episodes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how many <laughs> weeks we got. Yeah, we got 52 weeks. I said, I hope after a year we got 52 episodes. That's what I hope because it's hard. I know that you're a busy man, that you've got all kinds of things that you've got going on. You're writing stories, you're editing, you've got, you know, your work to do. And so 
I've got my own. I got my clients. I got things I got to do. I got, mm-hmm. you know, irons in the fire. I got, I'm, both all, have I'm trying families. to do a whole bunch of stuff. So, and, and family stuff as well, right? You got family. I got family. That's another thing. Like, you're a family, oh, man. That. I'm a family, man. We got, <laughs> we're busy people, you know, <laughs> but we're still, it's still something that we're trying to accomplish. So I feel know? like it's, it's necessary though. Yeah. I just feel like if we're not going to do it, who is? And I'm sure there's someone out there saying, oh, I can, but you didn't do it yet. And now we're here and we're doing it. And the love that we're getting on Twitter and with the guests and the guests, friends of the guests and the friends of the guests, guests is just keeps going. Every episode, someone's going, ah, man, I'm so happy you guys are doing that. I hear that every week from somebody saying, I'm so happy you guys are doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a labor of love. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I don't tell a lot of people this. I actually track all my hours throughout the day because for client work, they, they know what's up, you know, because I do that, you know, so I can invoice people. But I also track the hours that I put into this and I know I'm putting in so you time. Know. I'm no. putting in time. I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I was doing a little bit more on the editing this week and whatever, you know, we were doing a little more in terms of trying to, you know, nail a guest and that kind of thing, whatever. So I know, and you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun for me and I appreciate the love and I appreciate the connections that it's already building. I feel like, you know, my network is expanding in a way. So I, I think that's a really cool aspect of this too. I, lo- I love knowing that we're not alone in how we got started, why we got started, the journey, the little job, the medium job, the medium sort of kind of medium job, the really good job, the experiences. We're not alone. And this, that feels really good. Young, middle-aged, whatever, female, male, everyone's got similar stories and it's been great to be able to tell them. And, and I'm learning a lot from them. Because yeah. I know some of these people, but not that way. So you yeah. hear their story, you're like, oh, for real? You was there? You were where? Montana? Like, what? <laughs> oh, God. Well, and that's, that's particularly where I wanted to go next, which is, like, I feel like I'm getting to know you pretty well, Donna, but I mm-hmm. actually don't know you that well. Like, given that we've met essentially online, we've True. met, people should know, we have never met in person. In person. I, yeah. We may have been, like, ship's passing in the night some places at NABJ or something. But, you know, we've never actually met in person. And so part of what interests me in having this conversation today is about exploring that a little bit. Also, you just mentioned Twitter multiple times. And we have to talk about this. We're recording this the beginning of July, right before the 4th of July. And Twitter is a mess right now. And I feel like we have to dig into this because... For so long, it's been a tool for journalists. It's Absolutely. been our, you know, way that to find people to quote celebrities and newsmakers, et cetera, and to get emergency information on fires and shootings and all these different things. And we've run into a situation in which the site feels like it's breaking. So I feel like we have to talk about that. And I just I think we need to set that up. But first, let me let me ask Donnell. When did you first know you were going to be a journalist? My dad, Charlie Suggs. The second, because my brother's the third, who still is with us, obviously, in New York in his late 70s, is a big newspaper guy. And he would get the Daily News, the New York Daily News, and the New York Post every morning. Got him down on the table. It's super corny, but it's legit. He would get those two papers in his coffee, go to the sports section. When he was done with one, he would pass it to me. I'm like five, six years old. So I'm not getting the gist, but I know it's important. And it's basketball, it's baseball, and it's football in New York. And that's all I cared about at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. So he made it feel like it was the most important thing in the world to read the newspaper in the morning. And it literally passed on to me. And to this day, I still get the Wall Street Journal in the morning. And I read, obviously, the paper I work for, the Atlanta Voice and others. And it's like, 
that bug bit me early. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. Believe it or not, by the time you someone asks you, what do you want to do, kid? That's what I wanted to do. Now, I wanted to be a newspaper reporter at the Daily News in New York. <laughs> but <laughs> life moves a certain way. Yeah. And, and I left New York, came to Atlanta in 06, and then everything just like changed. Okay, so I knew yeah, what I wanted to we, do. We got to talk about this because I, everybody we talked to, here's the New York in you first. <laughs> first thing they say. <laughs> and it's, it's wild to, that you're, you've been in Atlanta this long. You said 2006. Mm-hmm. So, talk, talk to us. So you you know you had the bug five, six years old. It's instilled in you from your dad. And when do you start making moves in this direction as a career? Early on, college newspaper, a lot of people have a similar story. Did not work for the high school newspaper. I think we had one. I don't think we even had one. But I know for sure at New York City College of Technology in Brooklyn, they had a college newspaper downstairs. It was a weekly. Every, see, I felt like everyone read it because every time mm-hmm. I turn around, I see someone with it, but I don't know. Well, I just know this is long before social media. There was no Twitter in, in 1999. And this is the local, we had a local newspaper and, I, and it was great. I walked in one day and was like, I know sports and I like rap. That's all I got. She was like, great. We don't have a sports writer. <laughs> you can be the sports guy and we don't have anyone that really cares about music, at least not enough to write about it. You can be the music editor. Done. First taste. When I saw that first byline, my name was spelled wrong. It was Snugs. S-N-U-G-G-S. I still have that clip. I still have it. Oh, man. And the page designer guy was like, my bad. She uh, said Snugs. I was like, what? Did you not even ask me? He was like, man, I was on deadline. So I thought she said Snugs. My bad. And that was the first day. And I was hooked. I was hooked. When I opened the paper up, I can't remember what page, whatever, three, four, and saw, your, and saw my face and my name. I said, dude, I can't. I got to do this as much as possible. Mm. So that goes to the intro. That, that first byline is such a special one. And it <sighs> let me just say, the lesson learned there about spelling of names, you know, I feel like it's something that mentors and, and older journalists, you know, pass down on us, instructors pass down on us, which is, you know, get the name right, get the name right. Triple get the check, name. triple now, check. And and it and when it happens to you, and it, it's happened to me in other contexts, I, I don't think it's happened to me in the newspaper, and certainly not my own byline. That that's just rough. <laughs> I still have but it. But when it happens to you, there's a lesson that's learned there. It's like now this now what do other people in the public feel about when that gets wrong? Right. Now you know, Donnell, from your very first byline, you know, you know, get it right because you don't want that feeling on anybody else. You, and, and now that that pain you got when you finally have it, and you have to wait a week to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm dying to show this to my mom. Like, mom, my first story. She's like, great. Oh. It spells your name wrong. So I know that. Ignore that. <laughs> Mine just right underneath my face. Ignore Y'all got to run off some new copies for me. <laughs> <laughs> copies were all over the school. Everybody's yes. like, oh, dude, I saw your story, man. That was a good story about the Knicks. And I was like, yeah, thanks. No yeah. one noticed. So I was like, okay, cool. So we, ah, cool, we fixed man. it. They saw your face. That's what mattered. That was the biggest deal to me. It was like, oh, my God, my face and kind of my name is in the paper. Oh man. And where was this at? This is New York City. New York City College of Technology in downtown Brooklyn. We had a paper every week at my school. It was a CUNY school, City Universities in New York. And Mm -hmm. every one of the schools has a paper. So, you know, every now and again, a couple copies we shipped to another school or whatever, your sister's school. So that issue somewhere, someone was like, who the hell is Snucks? What kind of names is that? But whatever. I was there though. Oh man, that's wonderful. That's a great, that's a great origin story. (laughs) You know, I'll never forget it. So, so you get that, in, you you do the weekly work there, 
And I imagine you progress from there as you Absolutely. get more opportunities. What, what, where does your journey take you? What, one of my first internships was for Vibe Magazine when they were massive. Oh, and 99-2005 was massive. It was the magazine for, well, the source was a hip-hop magazine, but Vibe was the one that was welcome into all the office buildings and all of the C-suites as well as in the hood. So it was like to have an internship in Midtown Manhattan at Vibe magazine, was just, it was just like, I can't believe this. And I'm First thinking- all, I probably was reading that magazine at that time. That was, that was, that was you know, I, I mean, remember I like the, the source, but I like Vibe as well, you know? And it was like that thick. Yeah. It was heavy. Yeah. Every yeah. month it was heavy. And and some of the celebrities would walk around the office. Like you would someone would interview them in their office. So you would see, with all due respect, now this is serious well, at the time he was puffy. And you would see him with a couple of people, not a massive entourage though, with a couple of people in the office. And you're like, I just saw him on TV. And he came <laughs> to vibe to do a The video's been playing nonstop. Nonstop. <laughs> Guys from every radio and, and it's like, wow, these this is real life. Like these people scurrying around doing their stories. Really what they're doing is drinking coffee and like sitting online. But the whole point was for a kid like me, I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm in a mag I'm working at a magazine. So so what was your contributions like at that time? Were you were you able to write? Did they let you write? They did they did you get any stories in the mag? What what happened? Not a single byline in the magazine. I worked, they found a spot for me. Listen, let me tell you, I wrote a letter to five magazines in New York, a letter with my little Resume I only had some school stuff on it. Put a couple clips in it, my music clips, and wrote letters to the source to vibe to Sports Illustrated, which I knew now looking back on it was ridiculous. But <laughs> and I said, listen, yeah, I'm a sophomore, I'm a junior at New York City College Technology. I'm the music editor. I'm a sports writer. Here's some clips. I'd love to have an internship. I don't want any money. I just want a summer of learning. One person got back to me. My phone number's on it. They called. My mother's house, where I lived, obviously. Just with Donald Sullivan, yes, hi. This is, I can't remember her name now. Nicest lady in the world. Jesse Washington of the, uh, well, it's not the Undefeated anymore. What is it? Anscape? Jesse Washington was the editor, not for Vibe, but for their spinoff. They had a hip-hop spinoff. I forgot the name of that magazine, but it lasted like a year. But he was in that office then, too. Of course, he doesn't remember me. I'm a kid, but I remember him. And it's crazy. I mentioned to him one time on Twitter. He was like, you know what, dude? I think I remember you. I'm like, it was the one summer I had. It's a crazy mm-hmm. world. And I, they said, I got a spot for you. I came in and had an interview to be in the fashion department. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I don't know anything about fashion. I, I'm 19, but whatever. I got coffee. I went with him to photo shoots. Trick Daddy and Trina was on the cover of a magazine once, and I went with him to that photo shoot. They were in a pool. It was just like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> and then one day he comes in and says, I got a CD. It's Common's new record, like Water for Chocolate. You want to review it? I said, oh, are you kidding me? He gave me the CD in my hand. Brand new record hadn't come out yet. He said, go, listen to it, and just jot down what you think about each track or whatever. I listened to that CD. I can, I know that whole album by heart to this day. I wish I still had that original CD. I know that album by heart, track for track for track. It's still my favorite record from him. Top five favorite hip-hop album of, of all time because of what it meant to me at the time. Yeah. And it was really good. He was on that Afrocentric tip at the time, so it was really good. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I rewrote, I rewrote. To come to find out, I get ready my little music review of each single song. He goes, oh, no, we don't have any room in the magazine, man. This is before everything was on the web. Everything wasn't on the web then like that. 
Yeah, it wasn't limitless copy space. It wasn't limitless. It wasn't. <laughs> he said, oh, man, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry, little bro. We don't have space for it. And by the time next month comes out, it's already out. So it's don't worry about it. It's old. It's old it's news old. at that point. Yeah. It's still old news. Yeah. And I said, oh, man, doesn't matter. I'm still here. He let me have the CD. And I and I, and I kept on traveling with him and bringing stuff. Get that bag. Bring this uh, coat. Take this, that, and the third. And it was a great summer of learning the magazine business. But what I did learn was they don't do a ton of writing in that. I want to be a newspaper guy. So yeah. yeah. Interned at smaller newspapers in New York. Not the Post, not the Times. A little smaller ones like the Brooklyn Eagle, which doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. And really learned how to do the business from people who were like went home nine to five. There was nothing fashionable about what they did. But I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to do it. All those things sound wonderful. It sounds like a really great experience. And and it, it also speaks to that time period, which is, you know, it's acceptable to take an internship without pay and all of those things. You should do it now. Not can't do it now. Can't afford to live or, in New York like that. You can't afford you can't afford it anyway. And also, I think the the kids that are growing up right now, the young adults, young men, young women, they just they don't want to tolerate that. And I. No. I've come to the viewpoint. I agree. I mean, I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't do it myself. And I, I felt like I remember I had an opportunity to be the blogger for Niners coverage for, I think like essays, like they like did like a team by team coverage. This was way, way, well, I guess maybe that, that long ago, but maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, something like mm-hmm. that. And I, initially said yes and I had to I had to turn it down and it was it was a bad move on my to turn it because down the experience is worth cause a I, lot because I made somebody mad who who was you know an influential person <laughs> trying to hook but you I, up yeah they were trying to hook me up with an opportunity and I didn't see it as that I was like I need I need money I was going broke right trying to be a trying to be a sports writer and I was just like I can't I can't do this I can't, I can't do the work for free <laughs> It's, I can't give you the time, the energy, all of those things that this requires mm-hmm. without, you know, recognizing that there's a cost to this. Right. You know? The travel. The, I had to eat somewhere. I, I didn't have a car. So whenever I went to a game, it was on the train, which is fine in New York. But still, it was yeah. like looking back on it, did a lot of moving around for free. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you were at those uh, smaller newspapers and you learning the business, what, what kind of things did you cover? Was it was it primarily sports and music or was there did you expand beyond that? No more music. It was all sports. It was I got lucky and had opportunities to cover St. John's and the Knicks on a smaller scale. Again, you today you can do it on your own. You can just start a blog and say, I'm a St. John's writer. And that's all I care about. You, you might have end up actually getting in games, being credentialed, and having really cool interviews. But at the time, it was like someone had to put you on yeah. for you to break into that fourth wall. And okay, now you're behind it with the press pass. And to me, it meant a lot. So a lot of people gave me some really cool opportunities to be like, look, this is an afternoon game. We don't care about it. St. John's is playing Niagara. The kid, kid, go do that. Because no one feels like going into the city. I can't think of myself wanting to go to this. I'm going to send you. (laughs) Every year, right before Christmas, they would have the St. John's Classic. It was like Niagara and Iona and Long Island Island University and St. John's. St. John's is supposed to blow everybody out. Nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody, older guys that are like us now were like, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to deal with that. Go to the city on December 23rd and spend six hours in there. But yeah. you ain't got nothing to do. You do it. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I can't wait to do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that 
That's a, a, always a great experience, by the way. It's small town college basketball, small town high school sports. High school sports. They are. That's a huge part of my upbringing. So tell me, how did and what was the situation that brought you to Atlanta? Talk talk to me about that time period. I had a friend that was down here already from New York. His mom his mom moved down to start like a salon and everything. This is Atlanta right after the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So he he's he's talking ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand. Like when I'm finishing school, and I'm like, "Where's Atlanta?" The only thing I know about Atlanta was Kenny Anderson signed with Georgia Tech. That's that was the other side of the world until he signed there. Yeah. I went to high school in the same class as Stephon Marbury. So when he signed with Georgia Tech, by that time I knew where it was. We knew it was a big deal. Bobby Crimmins is from the Bronx, but before that, it was like, "Where's Kenny Anderson going? Where where is that?" I really did not know. I know Georgia. I know Georgia's a state, but you asked me to point you in the right direction. I wouldn't have been able to. Because we Listen, didn't care. I feel like this is a, a New York thing. It is. Like, we don't there's care. nothing outside of New York. We're New Yorkers. For basketball, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah. Everyone went to North Carolina. The really good guys went to North Carolina. They went to Duke. They went to Kentucky. So, Georgia Tech and UNLV. And UNLV. Sydney Green went to UNLV. Yeah. You know, it was like no one else cared. So, when he went there, I was like, I got to look it up. Oh, it's in Atlanta. That's cool. Wherever that is. But then they got the Olympics. In 90, we're in 90. In 96, they had the Olympics. And I was like, okay, it's a real place. Should probably have an idea. I was 18 years old that summer, so I couldn't go. I wasn't traveling. I wasn't on a plane. So I watched it. I'm like, Atlanta seems cool. Some of that bomb thing, everything else seems pretty cool. <laughs> you know? But, but <laughs> that wasn't cool. Yeah, no, that wasn't cool. <laughs> so I just put Atlanta up, out of my mind. Just like, whatever. Anyway. So you do the little things here and you have a job because you still got to maintain. But I'm like, man, I really want to dive into this full time. And, and again, he comes home for the summer. It's like, man, my mom's down there. They got black newspapers. The only black newspapers I knew was a final call because the brother sold that on the street in Harlem and in downtown Brooklyn. And the Amsterdam News, which my dad liked, but he didn't he didn't go out looking for it. Like he would just go to the corner and buy the post. But every now and again, someone would drop off a copy, whatever. He'd be at the barbershop. So I read those. And didn't think anything of it. Like, I didn't think they were black. I just know black people were the ones that gave them to you. When I grew up in New York in the 80s, everyone was black. So it wasn't a black newspaper. All the athletes, all the big stars in New York besides Don Madeline were black. All the Knicks were black. Oh, we didn't watch hockey. Lawrence Taylor. All the stars were black. So my world was black. So I didn't know it was a black newspaper. I just thought it was, every time I opened a newspaper, Patrick Ewing's on the front page or Lawrence Taylor. So what, what, what Dow Strawberry yeah. and Doc Gooden? Well, everybody's black. What does it yeah. matter? So he well, said, oh, yeah, yeah. name right there, Daryl Strawberry for me. <laughs> Doc Gooden is my favorite. Doc Gooden yeah. is my, and I was watching Deion Sanders play for the Yankees, who's my yeah. favorite baseball player. So, so it was like, I didn't even care about the fact that he played football. Deion was yeah. a baseball player to me. So it was like, you know, and for the Falcons, again, in this plant, this far off planet named Atlanta, I don't know. So Atlanta was around me, but I didn't care. And he's like, yeah, you got black newspaper. I'm thinking, let me look this up. Now we got the internet now. So it was not on my phone, but you can go and look it up. And it's like, I got to try this. So literally just Google black newspapers in Atlanta. And they had more now. They had more then than they had now. The Atlanta Daily World was still active. The Atlanta Voice was active. Two, downtown. I said, two, one of them's got to take me. You send your resumes in the mail, legit. With more clips than I've had previously, long story short, they say a lot of day world's like, look, if you're in town, if you're in town, we're not sending, we're not flying you here. 
come see us. Let, let a voice the same way. I said, let's give it a shot. You get a flight. <laughs> First time I've ever been to Atlanta, don't know anything. You just, you, there you know, you've plotted your, your course and you say, look, I'm here. I sent you a letter. My name is whatever. Come on in. Next, you know, I'm covering the Hawks. I'm yeah. covering the Hawks. I'm covering not high schools yet because the, the Atlanta papers only care about colleges. Georgia State, when Lefty Giselle was there. I'm getting these opportunities right for newspaper and, and the news too. My first time really covering news, like, oh, there's a new park dedication or there was a, a shooting. So you're doing that and it's just like, I'm not leaving. Mm. I'm not leaving. I'm going to try it. I mean, that that fills you up right there. Those opportunities right there. They make right. you, I mean, just getting them and doing that work is, you know, joyful in its own respect. And I, I love that. There's something that you said here that reminds me of previous conversations we've had on this podcast, which is that you took some initiative in all of this by hungry, hungry, hungry. I'm going to send you a resume and I'm going to do the outreach. I'm not going to wait for the job posting. I just want to see what you what's. Let me shake this tree and see what falls out. And I love that. I love that. What is it about us that is in this business that made us like this? I think because of what made us make this podcast, there really wasn't someone begging black people to be reporters and be journalists. They're not begging us to be it. If you want to be it, you better take a whole bunch of initiative. If you don't, don't worry about it. We're not looking for you anyway. So if these black newspapers, which saved my life, because they, they saved my career, I met my wife here, my son's born here. Like these, they can both say, nah, we don't have anything. Click. Yeah. We don't have anything. We, oh, we don't want to pay anybody for nothing. We got a couple of locals that do it for free. Or we got AP, NNPA. We're good. They was like, oh, if you're here, let me know. I remember looking on the Google map. I printed it out. There's no G- I didn't have GPS on my phone. I printed it out and it said Prior Street. Yeah, go here under the underpass. And I took it, took directions, walking on around the street like this. Okay. Like, <laughs> looking like a real tourist. But I went. Yeah. They welcomed yeah. me inside. Had me sit down. Talk to me. Let's go to the conference room. Talk to me. Dennis Byron, B-Y-R-O-N. He was the editor at the time. And he could have said, no, sure. we don't have anything. Don't worry about it, bro. We just had lunch a couple months ago. We need to have lunch again. He didn't. He said, I like, you got a lot of passion, kid. What do you want to do? I said, sports. He says, okay, good. We don't really have a full-time sports guy. Uh, what do you want to write? I'm like, well, football, baseball, but I don't care. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll give you a call. <laughs> let you know about an assignment. He called me the next day and said, I need a football story uh, about black quarterbacks. Done. And and I've been writing for the Atlanta Voice since 2006, since he gave me that assignment. The Atlanta wow. Daily Wheels before that. Yeah. Both those papers. They took a shot on me when they didn't have to do anything. They could have said, no, thank you. So from the bottom to the top now, now, now the man is the editor in chief. How about that? <laughs> to my full circle, 17 years ago, walked in the yeah. door, introduced myself. Today, I had a staff meeting where I'm the one holding the meeting and I have two young 25-year-old reporters and another 22-year-old freelancer and they're listening to me when I was them. Yeah. You made a couple stops away from oh, the Atlanta Voice. Tell us about that just real quick. Oh, gosh, real quick. Okay, we'll start most recently. I was covering commercial real estate for the Atlanta Atlanta Business Chronicle, one of the best papers for my money, the best yeah. business paper in Georgia and the state, really in the South. And it was a great job. It was corporate. People took you to lunch. They invited you to hotels here. You could stay overnight. It was like, it was it was awesome. But you know what I was thinking? I'm not doing anything for my people. I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything for the other me. 
and I got bogged down in corporate speak and, oh, we don't want to do the story about the Braves owing money to Cobb County right now. We, we don't want to do that now. I'm thinking, well, that's a great story. I got a tip. Yeah. No, not right now. And I'm just like, oh, wow. I'm turning into one of those. I wore a tie every day to work, which is fine. I'm just saying. It was like, oh, man, what the fuck is happening to me? <laughs> so when the opportunity came to run that out of voice, I was like, oh, wow, this has got to be for me. Because I'm dying to get the hell out of here. And the, and the Chronicle job is a good job, dude. It yeah. is. It's got all the benefits in the world. In an industry that's losing jobs, I had one of the top 10 jobs in Atlanta. And I was yeah. like, I got to get out of here. And that yeah. thing just happened. It fell right into place. It was obviously meant to be. But uh, prior to that, there was a bunch of other media, the Noonan Times Herald, Lake Oconee News. I'm going to, it's a long list. <laughs> House and Home <laughs> Journal. These are all throughout Georgia, South Georgia. Yeah. Clayton News Daily, Henry Daily mm -hmm. World. All these papers were medium and small, and they got bigger and bigger every year from 06 when I was freelancing for The Voice all the way through to when I got the job with a lot of business chronicle in 2020. 20, right, yeah, right when the you pandemic know, started. You were, did you start when you moved to Atlanta? Did you start primarily freelancing and then moved into full time roles somewhere? I got one about a year into moving here after the freelancing was lined up. You know, you, you work other jobs, still yeah. just doing this at night. And then who came calling first? Because Clay News Daily was first, but the, the Barrow County News had a reporter job. Check this out $27,000. I said, I'm rich. <laughs> Because I don't have to like sweep floors or mop floors or work in Walmart or work in a restaurant while I'm writing. I can just take one job. I did. I needed more than one job, <laughs> but at the time it was like, wow, be a reporter like full time. Like yeah. when you walk into an office and ask you, "What do you do?" You put reporter. The first time I woke reporter full reporter or doctor's office, or whatever they say, fill yeah. out, can you fill out this sheet? I'm like, okay, your name, letter, profession. You go, reporter. Yeah. Like, I'm really a reporter. Yeah. Like, that's what I do. My check says that. Oh, dude, 27000 felt like 72000 Because yeah. I was like, I'm doing this for real. Like, I'm telling my mom, sending her clips in the mail, her and my dad, like, this is in the paper today. It was real. It was like, I'm a real reporter. Oh, check me out. My 20s. Like, Man, that's cool. That's cool. And it, it it feels good when it when it happens in that kind oh, of way, man. too. And. I know that struggle of freelancing, doing the other things, the side gigs as yes. well. It, it is, it's hard. It's hard. And you're balancing. I, I felt like for a long time, there was like, I just want to get to a point where I only have one, one job. job. And now I don't, <laughs> look, and now I don't have one job. I still don't have one job. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah you got two. Tell, tell people about what you do. Cause you, I think people who follow you on Twitter know, but I think for most folks, they're like, wait a second, you're the editor in chief. What else do you Right. You still, I'm still a reporter for a small town newspaper. The Gainesville Times, it's a medium paper. At one point, it was a daily. But like everything else, people get chopped, 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 chopped. So now it's five days a week. And, well, I apologize. It's, it's two days a week. And the website's really good. It's a daily in that sense. But they were looking for help, veteran help, from a reporter. Because everything they had was a 20-something that wanted to kind of work, but didn't feel like doing more than one story a day or... Didn't make that extra phone call. They were getting so frustrated. Like, we're paying these people good money. Why aren't the kids? I said, guys, the kids aren't as interested in the grind anymore. Because the internet says, dude, just make a TikTok. Just make a Facebook. Just make an Instagram. You don't yeah. have to, like, beat the bushes and knock on that extra door. So I've been a breath of fresh air for them and vice versa. Because it still gets me my small town roots where I still got to report on that new business opening downtown. Yeah. Or right about the lady who handcrafts crosses. 
and handsome to people. I love that story. Like I love that she walked me around and then we went and I walked with her on her little route. And it was like I wouldn't get to do that in Atlanta anymore. Atlanta's so sophisticated now. We're, we're chasing deadlines. We're trying to beat everybody to a story. So for the Gainesville mm-hmm. Times, being a reporter is just like it's like so when I drive up there, it's like, okay. All the metal comes off and it's just a regular nice day on the square. You know, <laughs> in a small town on the square, meeting meeting story subjects on the square. And them, and them trying to insist on buying you lunch and you have to tell them, no, I can't take food from you. I just have to write about it. And them telling you, well, at least take this pie home or something. You're like, this doesn't happen in Atlanta. Nobody the gives you food. The pie goes to the newsroom fund. And, it goes, and I take the pie back to the newsroom and we slice it up. There you go. It's like, I, I can't just be for me. Now it can't be for home. me. Yeah. Now, are you sure? I too. I'm like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah, we're all reviewing this now. Right. We're, all gonna, we're all reviewing this restaurant. Now. We're all going to check the restaurant. We're in on this together. Oh, man, that's really cool. And so how long have you been in the editor-in-chief role at the Atlanta Voice? August of last year. I um, officially took over, left the Chronicle in July, started August 1st, and coming up on an anniversary, and it's been great. It's been, it's been hectic because now mm. you're responsible for so many things. Oh, my God, yes. But when, that, when you get done... And you print that copy out to review one more time before you send it off to the printer and you know that you had your hands all over that. It feels like like when your kids do something really good, you go, yeah. I know he got an A on that test, but I helped him study, so I feel like we got an A. When the paper <laughs> comes out on Friday and I see it at a barbershop, I go, look at, look at my son. Look at my paper over look. there. <laughs> I pick it up, read it. Like I don't know what's in it. <laughs> no, exactly like I didn't it. already read all these stories three, Every four single times. one, three times already. <laughs> And write half of them. Yeah. There's <laughs> but, uh, that. It feels personal. Uh, it feels, so, but, so so, what do you feel like you've learned being in the big chair? That um, you got to be patient with young people. I remember being the young person that thought had the story down in, in half an hour and someone saying, nope, go back and ask him how old he is and how long he was. Oh, yeah. Okay. I forgot. And now I'm like, come on, dude. Don't you realize you have to wait? You're right. That's right. You are 23. This is your second job ever. No problem. Here's a couple of questions. Why don't you go ahead and ask that person that? Or when you don't pitch me something I think is interesting, I shouldn't get frustrated. I'm learning to be patient and say, well, that sounds okay. Let's put that to the side for a minute. Like I did today. Let's put that idea to the side for a minute. We're a black newspaper. You're asking me about a white teenager that makes her prom dress out of uh, duct tape, which is a beautiful skill. But she's a white teenager in Cobb County. We don't need that in the black newspaper in Atlanta. Not a bad pitch. It's a little off of what we're doing. Let me let me tell you what I think you should be working on. Just patience. I'm learning a ton of that now. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I just I I think about your role and I think about black newspapers in general right mm. now, and I I wonder what the challenges are that you see because I feel like some are thriving. Some black papers are thriving. I know some are struggling. I know some are struggling, Most. both in terms of a content, but also in advertising and just revenue and all of those things. Mm-hmm. The business side, we can only control so much as what we can control. But in terms of content, there's a lot of control there for what you're able to do. How do you feel about the state of black newspapers right now? I'm not as confident in all of us as a family as I am in like the 10 or 15 that I know are really kicking butt and breaking stories. And, and I'll just name a few. The Sacramento Observer, really good paper up north of California. 
the Philadelphia Tribune, for my money, is the best black newspaper in America for me. I just think it's really good. I subscribe to it. It comes to my house like three days late every time it comes because obviously it's coming from Philly, but I read it. It's that good of a job. Yeah. They do. Really love that paper. Amsterdam News, very good. Their website, digital, awesome. So with those, I know they're doing okay in big markets. What I worry about is the Savannah Tribune, which is like six pages deep. One day I picked it up down there and it was like, you can, and blow the whole thing away. And I'm thinking to myself, why is this being allowed? But I understand they can't afford to hire a bunch of reporters. When you open it up, it's all CNN and Newswire stuff because they can't afford to cover the city because you got to pay somebody. So it's, it's disheartening because I don't think working for a small white newspaper, uh, white-owned newspaper, I should call it white-owned, this where I source by everybody, in Gainesville, the ads are out the, out the wazoo. They won't let it die. The people that live there, black and white, will not let their local newspaper die. That's why every single business is advertising in it. So that's a level of support because everyone knows the pizzeria is downtown. You don't really need an ad. You know it's there, but they, they still run an ad, a little $25 ad, but they run an ad every week or twice a week because you just want to support the newspaper. You want to be in it. Why don't we do that as in mass? And we don't. We don't do it in mass. We do it a lot of places, like I said, Philadelphia and, and New York. And here in Atlanta, we're doing great. But that's just three. So I get a little frustrated with that when I know that the Seattle medium is not a major news source in Seattle. The Times is. Or, or, your, your paper is a part of that collaboration with Word and Black. Yes, and all it's of 10 of us. Can you, yeah, there, there's a lot. Of, and, and I love the Word and Black site. I get the newsletters. I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm tapped in in that respect. The, the paper local to me, I'm here in Washington, D.C. I read the Informer. They're also clued into this. Yes. So it's like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good mix. And I think the reporters that are assigned to that collaboration I don't know what we're calling it. It's association. Yeah. The reporters that are, I think they're really good. I think they're producing really great stuff, particularly on the health and, yes. and education. So, but give me your sense of what's going on with that and, and how that's developed for the, the 10 that are involved. What's the best part about that is you're right. The Washington Informer and the Baltimore paper and St. Louis American, Baltimore American, excuse me, Afro-American and the St. Louis American, those papers are legitimate and have legitimate journalists. Therefore, their journalism is always good. Now we're backed up by Word of Black, which has some money behind it, so we can afford to keep that going. And it really, because they pay us to have content for them, because they only have like six writers. Word of Black has their own team, which yeah. does longer pieces, and then we all contribute. And it's just been wonderful. We've been there for about a year, a little over a year, and it's been wonderful because you can see these 10 papers in particular, not to act like no one else is good, but these because Philadelphia Tribune is not a part of Word of Black. They're not. They're part of NAPA. But those 10 papers are really good and they're run really well by people who are legacy owners. Most of them are either part of the ownership or parents were the ones that started it or at least were involved. So it's like, I love seeing that this is a fist. It's, it's two fists it's, and it's strong, these 10. And we can't get everybody. They're trying to get. They're trying to add more to it, but you know, you just can't add them one by one. This is an NBA. You have two franchises at a time. So, it's. I'm yeah. glad that we have something like Word and Black that reaches a lot further out than our neighborhoods. So it, it helps because we need that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm just thinking of the longevity of the collaboration. I'm just wondering, like, how, 
I know that the content part is good because I'm, I'm, I'm taking it in as a consumer mm-hmm. and I know that it's good from a business sense uh, for the black newspapers that are involved. So there's a question that I have there in terms of like, how long do you expect that to last? Because I know it's like backed by Google and some other things. Right. And then the other piece of that that I'm, I'm wondering is like, is there the, what I think maybe the benefit of it is like some of the tech, some of the like the CMS, the platforms that are being used by Word and Black, like all of those things feel like it's a, a benefit, if you will, to all of the sister sites that are involved in this. Absolutely. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. You you hope you always want to not need a Google. But to be realistic, like I think the New York Times would team up with Google too if they had the opportunity and they do well. The Post would too. So it's like I don't take that as a as a, a fear as much as, hey, look, I'm glad we have that backing for now. We were already in the case of Atlanta, for, for example, we were already doing well without. So this just makes us stronger. I know that for a lot of other papers that's in that collaborative, they really need it. They really need it. The Atlanta Daily World is in that. And they don't have any, well, they don't have any reporters. They don't, they're not out here. So sometimes when you get on a meeting, you're like, dude, after I talk, what are you guys going to say? You weren't there. I know you weren't there, but I'm glad they're a part of it because they need it. So in that case, they need it. In our case, we, we appreciate it. So I'm thinking as mm-hmm. long as it lasts, come on in. If it doesn't, then we're going to have to be on our own for a little while. And for some people, that, that they're not going to make it. But I'm glad it exists. So that way, yeah. at least the Atlantic Daily Worlds of the, of the world can, can, can continue to exist in a bigger platform than what they are. Because they don't even print anymore. So you can easily just forget all about that. But the fact that they're in this collaboration really helps them. So I'm with it. I'm, I'm happy they're here. I think I, I think I've asked you a ton of questions, and, I, and we may be running out of time here, so we may have to split this up to talk about. <laughs> How about this? It's your turn. Oh, hold on, but let me, but let me before we go. I, I want to ask one your thoughts on the social media because uh, Donnell, what I've come to learn about you in the short time that we've known each other is that you are so deep in Twitter. You're, you're, I'm an addict, but you're an addict. Yeah, I have a problem. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna have I'm a meal. I'm probably I'm, not gonna have I'm, a meal. I'm, an addict. I'm yeah. extremely online. I know it, but you, you're, you're there. You're, yeah. you're there every day, and you're sharing quite a bit. And I think you do a good job of it. So tell me, tell me, what are you thinking about this particular situation that we find ourselves in with Twitter in this very week that we're recording this is breaking again, again, and also just making it difficult to now read others tweets which i has never happened before i think no because the whole point of twitter was go ahead and share it and follow other people so they can share and then you can read theirs and it was collaborative yes it's messy and yes it's a whole bunch of trash on it but the whole point was that's your tweet that you got to own it how many people have tweeted something and then lost their jobs lost their relationships or god forbid got in physical trouble with someone else because they tweeted it but the fact was it was a live forum for everyone. It's a town hall. Get the chance to speak your mind. And what he did over the weekend, which it's been corrected since, was tell you when to talk and how much you can talk and who you can talk to. And you cannot do that on Twitter. And I know he's he's smart. He came up with the Tesla and everything. Two different animals. Whatever works for Tesla doesn't necessarily work for Twitter. And that was a mistake. That was that could have been a well, it is a billion dollar mistake that he bought it in the first place. And the people spoke. $44, $44 billion. $44 billion. Just, a, 
just a small thing. He he, he didn't come up with the Tesla. He right. improved he upon the designs from the original co-founders of the company right. and took over the business, if you will. And took it to another um, level. Is that fair? Took it to, took it to a stratospheric level. Right. You know, I saw I saw something about, you know, I don't want to cite no numbers on a podcast that's going to come out in a few days, but, you know, double digit percentage increase in stock listing for Tesla in these last few days. They're doing well. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, I, I just look at it, though, from a problem perspective of journalists, which is to say that the platform is unreliable as much as I like it. I've been on since 2007, December 2007. I'm one of those you know, early birds to the platform. So I've been in deep with Twitter for a very long time. Mm. And I feel like, you know, the, the, the new owner is just trying to find ways to piss me off. And I don't, I don't like that. But at the same time, I see a utility in it for me. I have a, a little bit of a sizable audience. Right. I have the ability to connect and see the postings of journalists whom I admire and follow and also want to keep up with because That's they're informed about both my community, but about things writ large. And now I'm like having trouble doing that. Now those people whom I follow are also questioning whether or not they want to post on that platform. And that's really like, you know, so far it's been about the network effect, right? right. He's been able to you know, do all of these things and, and irritate a bunch of people, but nonetheless not really lose audience because we're all networked. We're all here on this platform in Twitter. Mm. And now that's, I think, being really disrupted in a way when you say, like you said, I'm not going to let you read it right now. I'm going to call this rate limited or whatever it is. Mm. Even though he's fixed it, the perception you is in my it. head now that you, you could do it. that again. Right. Yeah. You can't undo that. You can't slap me and say, oh, my bad. You still slap me, though. So I'm still working on how not to slap you back right now. And uh, that's what he did. And here's the slap, though. There's a, there's, there's, there's a platform called Spill. Like, if you spill something. Okay. I want to hear about this because you're on Spill. I am. I'm not on it. I, I don't have an invite. I think I, I just waitlisted myself before we got on this call. Tell oh, me about Spill. I'll send you one. And as of right now, I got on yesterday. Because everyone was just, it was this massive exodus on Twitter. Like, look, we're not going to delete our, our, our Twitter accounts, but y'all should look into this. I'm thinking, what is it? Now, it's being told that it's Black-owned. I was on the Twitter spaces of all places where the owners and the people who ran it were Black and they were talking about it, which is cool. I don't really care about it being Black-owned. I just want another platform in case this platform collapses again. So I said, let's look into it. And again, it gives you the same feel as Twitter. Here's your, here's your template. Here's your how many numbers. I don't even know, I don't even know how much the, the character count is. And and it's like we're using it the same way. And it's been fun. It's been fun to be brand new again. I had I was on Twitter at 08. So I was kind of early a little bit too. And I remember yeah. like, you know, it was no one here before 2010. You're you're the, early. You're one of the early exactly. I remember having, I don't know, two hundred followers and thinking that was a lot. And yeah. now you go, please. 200 million or whatever. It's like LeBron or something. So it's like, okay, cool. But now we're early on this. And it felt fun to start all over again. But I didn't delete Twitter though, because I'm hooked. I didn't. I, just, I didn't. I'm an addict. Well, so let me put this out there because I, I love one to support a black owned enterprise. Absolutely. There's also fan base by Isaac Hayes, the That's third. Right. The third. Still out there. It, it feels much more like Instagram though. And that's a much more like visual platform. Yes. And so I'm, I have it, 
it's like me following all of Roland Martin and that's it. Like that's okay, like, that's see. all I'm using it for right now. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing with that. And I, and I'm not a visual poster or person. So, you know, it's not for me. It's not for the text-based person, right. which is what Twitter was great at. Yes. Is, is spill that? Is it a text-based thing? It is still it? feels text-based because yeah. really, at least as far as I can tell, you can only post one, one photo and you, and mm. if you do a video, it pretty much, it's not as smooth as Twitter is right now where you post a video yeah. and it pops on. It gives it, give it a second, but it's up there. So it's like, it has the capability of being a Twitter one day. I think we all just ran there because we got tired of what he was doing. And now yeah. that it's fixed, we're all back on Twitter again, complaining well, about then, Twitter. And then, so I'm on Spoutable, which is and the Chris so Boozy led one, another black owned platform right there the bot sentinel group there's mastodon which mastodon. some platforms have gone to and and some journalists have have gone to there's post which I, i'm on it i just i gave up on it <laughs> i can't get i can't get my head around it I, it's it's text-based there's subscriptions there's all this stuff going on it's a lot of stuff and to be honest with you i feel like there's a lot of you know, let's complicate the simple thing. And th it's the same problem I have with Instagram, which is to yeah. say it's a whole lot of stuff going on in there when I just really want to see my feed. Like you're giving me a whole bunch so of stuff. So much stuff. And so there's there's that. And then, you know, like if you, if you even bring it back to Facebook, like Facebook, like at a certain point is it's still really like a good method of connecting with people you're already chatting with, if yes. you will. My college roommate, my college roommates, you know, I still talk yeah, to them. Like people who are already in your network, but like the, the, the draw of Twitter and, 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 and platforms like it are that now I can connect with the rest of the world. Now it's not just my friends. It's also all these other people who can chime <laughs> in on the conversation too, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, like, I don't feel like there's a platform that's like that. It's text-based. That's like easy to use. Right. And it also has like this mass adoption, like, that's really what we all want. We all want to be networked on one other place, just not Twitter. That's what we want. And and the fact that Twitter is so familial to all of us now, it's hard to let go. So, yeah, yeah we ran over the spill and we ran over the Mastodon and we ran over to post it. But are we really gone? Because we're complaining about yeah. it on Twitter. I don't want to give up Twitter. I, I, I built something that connected me with you. And that's why we got this podcast and other people who I've worked with, worked for. I've used the heck out of it. I couldn't. I couldn't have gotten more out of Twitter and LinkedIn than I, than anyone could have gotten out of, as far as my career is concerned. Those are tools. And yes, I have fun when I post my lunch. But the fact of the matter is, I've also contacted someone in the DMs and say, "Hey, man, I really need that source you told me about." And they said, yeah. "Okay, look, I'm gonna DM it to you. I don't want to put it on." And I've gotten the story. So it's like I use the heck out of those. So it's hard for me to say they're all 100 percent trouble. I just didn't like what he was doing, and it did make me kind of look around and see if there's another place I can do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, he's making me flirt. He's making me flirt exactly. with other platforms. Flirt know, with other so platforms. I, but I it's like just flirting, though. I'm not going to live with that. I, I got slapped, and I, I and this thing isn't gone yet. It still hurts. <laughs> I'm trying my best not to slap him back and say, I just deleted Twitter. I'll show you. Well, who am I showing what? There's, there's billions of people on it. It's not. I'm not showing anyone uh -huh. anything. And I'm not paying for a blue check. I refuse to do that. Uh, same here. Same I'm here. I, 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 I'm not giving you I had one. Money. You took it? Cool. Keep it. Yeah. I had a blue check for a very long time. I'm for a long why. time. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't. 
at in a certain point, I, I remember when it became like a pejorative to say you were a blue check person. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, well, it's not worth it if that's how you feel, because I'm not getting much benefit of this. The blue check didn't follow like the me. The only thing yeah. that I appreciated about it was that I knew that the person who was behind that blue checked account is who they say they were. Right. The now, I don't know that. No. Now I'm checking everybody. I'm looking at their history. I'm wondering if they're a parody, if it's satire, like I'm check I'm clicking on more profiles than ever before to make sure that I'm not liking or retweeting and amplifying bad information. Right. It's made that process slower. I know in you know Elon's probably thought process and Twitter's thought process of thinking like, oh, there's more engagement. Yeah, I have to because I I I don't want to amplify bad information. That's that's my personal issue now. It's, so. It bothers me that that now nah, I don't really know if that's if that's who you say you are. Luckily, I'm not on here trying to make any friends or giving any of my personal information. I'm literally tweeting about basketball cards, journalism, and food. So you don't have to like it. It's cool. But yeah. but if I were, if I was someone that was really like trying to get something started with Twitter, I, I don't know if I would really want to like start a business and use Twitter as my main way of contacting people. Not well, anymore. Let's, okay, let's relate it to this podcast. Okay. Right? Because as part of what we do in sharing this podcast, yes. we share video clips of snippets of our interviews, our conversations, right on Twitter, right on LinkedIn. And I think it's been great. It's Huge. obviously it's where journalists congregate. And so that's where we want to be. But is that always going to be the case? I wonder where else we might share these videos, share these clips. I know. Because I put it, you and I both put it on our Instagrams. We put it, yeah. I put it, we, we both put it on LinkedIn, which I think is great because this is kind of sort of a business thing in a way. These are professional yeah, journalists we're talking thing, to. It's a media thing, yeah. Right. These are professionals, these are journalism prof professionals, regardless of which genre they're in, they're professionals. So that's been great. But I've always liked to do it on Twitter because 99% of the time when I get a guest for us, or you get, well, I can't speak for you, but for me, when I go get a guest, I'm going through my Twitter feed. Yeah. I'm going down the line and going, oh, I haven't spoke to her in a long time. Let's see if she's free and vice versa. I haven't spoke to him because we're all journalists. We've congregated in this space. Otherwise, I don't speak to these people like that. Well, I, call, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't call on the call, call on the phone. I have her number. I wouldn't call her on the phone, though. She's she's busy. But I contacted her via Twitter and said, I'd love to have we'd love to have you on the show. So without yeah. this, I don't know. I don't think this happens if, without Twitter. I don't think we have this podcast without it. So it still matters to me. It just I'm disappointed in the way things are going. I don't think soon that we'll really need it to get the word out, but it does help. I can't pretend yeah. it doesn't. It does. Do you think do you think we need to do a newsletter for this podcast? I don't. A a Substack. I'm about to say who doesn't have one of those now? Which what journalist doesn't <laughs> have one of those now? I don't. I, I feel I like I, do, I should, though. <laughs> I write too much. I don't want to write anything else I don't get paid for. Yeah. Like, I don't want to write again. So you should get a Substack. Uh, I you, love it. So, like, okay. In all seriousness, no, I, I bring up the Substack, though, because mm -hmm. I think about distribution in this way, right? Which is to say, we, we want to get the podcast out there. Okay, we can mm -hmm. slide in people's email and on the Substack app, get a notification that we just sent out a new podcast episode. Isn't that nice? Right. Right. So another way to say, hey, look, this is a growing thing. 
bigger than Spill, obviously, because Spill just started, you know, what, five minutes a month ago. Yeah. And, you know, bigger than uh, some of these other places and also is starting to build up a little bit of a network effect of its own. Hmm. Right. Within that community. Are our people on it, though? That's right. the real question. Right. And I, I I don't know if there's evidence of that yet. Not so, yet. But but it, it's interesting to me to think about it in those terms, because, you know, whether you're doing a newspaper, whether you're doing a radio show, a TV broadcast, you have to think about where you're going to show up online and share with your audience and our target audience right now, other journalists right. and people in the media and people who are interested in the media and interested in becoming journalists. Where are we going to show up for them? Well, we want to be where they are. And if that's Twitter, so be it. But if we move, if we migrate, right, we migrating too. We, we, we might have to be on the forefront, but we migrate. We migrate too. And that's the thing. Where are we going to migrate to? Uh, is it spill? I, 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 was, I was messaging. Uh, I saw Benet Wilson, whose name has come up on this podcast a couple of times. Of course. We, we, we likely, we have to get her on the show. We have to. Because she's such a phenomenal person and such a uh, huge mentor to so many other people. Major assets in the um, profession. I, I, on her Facebook, she talked about joining Spill. And I said, so we migrating? Is it good? What's up? Are we all going? <laughs> like, somebody go take a look and then let us know. I saw so many people in the comments saying, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Here's my username. Here's this. Right. I'm like, okay. All right. I see what's happening. I see it's in, it's in my circles happening already. Mm-hmm. You're on it. Send me the invite. Right. I'll get on it. We'll see what's up. That I think we should just, I think we should all just take a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, and just and just yeah. set out and set some stuff in it. Not all your stuff. This pair of shoes and the shirt. We might be we might be back. Don't be no furniture. Just a little don't something. Be no furniture. Not no, yet. Don't be no. no furniture. No, no. All our stuff furniture's in Twitter. Don't lie. We over there. We're not moving out in mass. But I was like, let me see what this is about. Let me just see. Donnell, this feels like this is going to be a part one of part two, which is, part two is going to be me, and we're going to have to do that later because okay. we're, we're crossing an hour mark here already. But um, let me ask you, like we do our guest, what advice do you have for younger journalists right now as they're making their way into the game? Fresh out of school, looking for your first job, be prepared to move. Be prepared not to make your dream amount of money. Be prepared to not get your dream job, but just know these are steps. As long as you know their steps, you're good. Don't do the whole, well, I really want to get to the Wall Street Journal and this isn't it. Dude, everybody's not going to get there. Might not even get there. You might end up going a whole nother route and being in Atlanta before you even knew where Atlanta was. Now, of course, everybody knows what it is. Just be patient and, and understand that you're going to have to grind a little bit. I know that you got this many people on TikTok and this many people on Instagram and all that. And that ain't the business. Be prepared to listen to some journalists and do some stories you don't want to do and work with some papers or magazines or news stations that you don't necessarily love, but it's all for the, bit, the greater good. We need more black journalists, so we need you to kind of hang in there. Don't leave. Don't. I've heard people leave the business because they didn't like this job or that boss, and we can't afford that. We only have 7% of professional journalists in this country. Seven. As the last time I looked. So we, we need everybody to hang in there. Please. So just be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Patience seems like the word for the day. Thank you so much, Donnell. Hey, hey, listen, this is good for us to do it this way. Obviously, I feel like there's a part two that we got to do. You have to. You know, <laughs> flip the script here. You be. You ask all the questions. There you next go. Time. We'll go from that. Dope. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>